0: Alright, so it's trivia time today to start out. This is an easy question for those of you that have been around for any length of time, but you may know that I'm a bit of a sports fan. My favorite sport is? Basketball. basketball. There you go. And my favorite sports event of the entire year is? March Madness. You got it right, which we are right in the middle of right now, and I'm enjoying uh, mostly. And uh, those of you that really know me well know why I say mostly to that, but one of the things that I really love about this time of year, I love to watch all of the, the teams that aren't supposed to have a chance that end up beating schools they have no business beating, right? That's what makes it fun, unless one of those schools is the team that you're cheering for, then, it, then it's not quite so much fun. Uh, but for the most part, I love to cheer for the underdog, and now that's what I'll do the rest of the tournament. But um, it, it's fun to watch these kids that weren't really recruited you know, by other schools and that really didn't have many other offers and they've gone to some smaller schools and make the tournament. And they end up beating schools. And it happens, y'all. It happens every single year. And that's why I love this event. It's just fun to cheer for the underdog. Uh, and, and although some of the smaller schools might have less talent, here's one thing that does level the playing field a bit. And that is that unless something really, really strange happens, it will always be five on five, right? There's always going to be five players on both teams going against each other. So although teams will sometimes be outmanned, they will never be outnumbered. That's not the case for our hero that we're going to look at today today we're going to talk a little bit about Elijah and we're gonna look at one of the times where he was outnumbered by a margin of 850 to 1 but one of the things that we're going to see is one plus God always equals a majority and that was true for Elijah, that's, that's actually true for us as well. So a little background before we jump in to our passage uh, together. We're going to be in 1 Kings 18 in a little bit, but let me just go back a little bit to end of chapter 16. Uh, we are introduced to the king at that time, is a guy by the name of Ahab, and it says specifically that he did more evil than any of the kings before him. So in addition to his own personal sins and indulgences and things that he wanted to do, one of the biggest issues, one of the biggest sins for Ahab was that he married a woman named Jezebel. Jezebel uh, was the, the daughter of the king of the Sidonians. The Sidonians were known for worshipping Baal. And Jezebel brought that Baal worship into their household, and Ahab allowed that to happen. It reminded me, as I've been reading through and doing a chronological Bible this year, uh, a lot of time in the, the beginning books of the Old Testament, one of the things you see over and over again is this prohibition against intermarrying with women of other nationalities. And the reason for that is, and it says very specifically, because they will cause you to follow after their gods. Ahab is Exhibit A. This is exactly why God said don't do this because he marries Jezebel. And then we discover that Jezebel has, has influenced him so much that they actually built a temple to Baal. And they were worshiping Baal there. And so uh, beginning of chapter 17, Elijah goes to Ahab and he tells him, and this is part of God's judgment on Ahab and on the people of God because of their rebellion. He says, there's not going to be rain or dew on the ground for the next several years except at my word. And by the time we get into chapter 18, which is where we'll start in a moment, it's been three years. Three years that they have gone without any rain. Now, can you just imagine three years? Now, we... Compare that to what we would consider to be a drought, right? And, and even if you were to go back to the Dust Bowl of the 1930s. So, there's you take the, uh, a lot of that is done in kind of the, 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 the northwestern panhandle of Texas, the western panhandle of Oklahoma, that area right there. It's what they, they talked about, the Dust Bowl. And the reason that it was named that is because they received anywhere from 20 to 30% less rain annually for an entire decade. And so I was curious, you know, what was the the normal rainfall? It was anywhere from 16 to 26 inches a year. So let's take the low end. Let's take an area that they get 16 inches a year, and let's take the high end of the percentage. They got 30% less rain. That means that they still had just a little bit over 11 inches a year. Now, 11 inches of rain in an entire year obviously is not a lot. But that's 33 more inches than they got in this three-year period, I mean, they got nothing, can you imagine, for three solid years, and, uh, and, and then the drought's about to come to an end. So let's pick it up, 1 Kings, and by the way, we're going to work our way through a lot of this chapter, so we're going to just be coming back to Scripture and, and just taking it in pieces as we work our way through the story. But let's start with the couple, first couple of verses. In chapter 18, it says, After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. I love the description that Chuck Swindoll, uh, the way he describes what must have taken place. And Let me just quote to you from what he said. He said, Try to imagine the scene. Three years without a drop of rain in the entire land of Israel, every brook had dried up. When Elijah made his way from Zarephath to Ahab's palace, he must have walked around the carcasses and skeletons of many a beast. Imagine what the stench of death must have been like. And keep in mind that King Ahab had been looking for Elijah the entire three years. And it wasn't because he wanted to give him a hug. He was furious with Elijah. We'll see as we continue on in a moment. He blamed Elijah for the drought. And now Elijah finally shows up. They haven't been able to find him anywhere. He finally shows up to the king. Now let's skip down to verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. He's telling him about Elijah being there. Told him, And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him... Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, you you see what's going on here, right? Ahab is blaming Elijah for the drought. And he calls him the troubler of Israel. And Elijah just turns it right back on him. He's like, look. I'm not the problem here. Uh, I'm not the one bringing trouble on Israel, on Israel. And he just shoots very straight with him in verse 18. And he says, The reason that, that Israel is going through this drought is because of you. It's because you've turned away from God, it's because you have worshiped the Baals. But isn't it amazing how Ahab was completely blind to his own sin? He couldn't see it. He truly thought the problem was with Elijah. And can't that same thing so easily happen to us? We just are so blinded to our own sin. And and we just don't see the truth. You ever look back on your life, something, and, and you realize, you know, gosh, at the time, I didn't see it at the time. I didn't realize what was going on. But now, looking back, you're like, golly, what was I thinking? Right? I was just blinded at that moment in time, and, and, and by the way, that's one of the reasons why we need people in our lives that will speak truth to us. We need people that will call us out when we need to get called out. It might not be very comfortable. But we need those, those type of Elijahs in our lives, but, but it, it, ought to, it ought to make us a little nervous. You know, it ought to scare us just a little bit to realize, man, I can fool myself. I can become so blinded to my own sin, and I can see that in my own life where I've looked back, and I'm like, my goodness, what, you know, kind of, what was I thinking at that moment? point in time. Uh, but you just don't see it always. And then in verse 19, we see how bad things had gotten because it says, he's, uh, Elijah setting up this, this showdown between himself and the prophets, the false prophets. But he says, bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. And notice this last little phrase, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab's wife, the queen, Jezebel, is so into her idolatry that she personally cares for the prophets of Baal and Asherah. There are 850 of them that during a season of drought, she's making sure that they are very well fed. And so you can see kind of you know, just how bad things had gotten, and Elijah sets up this showdown and... Uh, um, it, it, and they're, they're going to just kind of see once and for all whose God is the real God. And then um, verse 21 is really kind of the, the, the whole point of this passage. In verse 21 it says, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. You see, th- this Elijah wants to speak with his own People, these are fellow Israelites, and and he's trying to communicate to them. Look, you all know better than this, right? You you are God's people. You you are the chosen people of God, and yet you're vacillating between worshiping Baal and worshiping God. And and he just gives this really direct uh, kind of a a. a, a, a uh, question here when he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? And he lays it out. And guys, this is really the point today. If you want to sum up what this message is all about. it's This is it. In verse 21 when it says, if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. You got to make up your mind. That's what he's telling the people back then. But that same thing is true for us today. We got to make up our minds. Either God is God or he's not. And to put it in uh, our context today, on the other side of the cross, either Jesus is the Lord of our lives, He's the one that we follow, and He is our, our number one priority, or He's not. It's one or the other. And, and here's the thing, it can't be both, right? It, you, you can't, Worship a little bit of God and a little bit of Baal or insert whatever else we want to insert there, whatever idol we want to say. We can't just mix a little bit of our worship of God with a whole bunch of other stuff. And that's really what he's saying here is, and and what we see throughout Scripture, is that you can't worship God and anything else. He says, you got to make up your mind. It's one way or the other, but it can't be both. When our kids were younger, one of their favorite things that we did with them uh, was to go to the yogurt shop. You know, you know what I'm talking about? They're not quite as popular nowadays. I don't know what happened there. There's not as many of them. But back when they were younger, they were all over the place. And they would love to go and get frozen yogurt. But it really wasn't the frozen yogurt that they were excited about. You remember how these worked? You know, you got a little bit of your yogurt. And then before you could get to the front to check out. You had to go through something that looks like this. I mean, here's a, here's a picture. I mean, it's got every candy and everything you could imagine lined up. And, I mean, that's what they were really excited about. You know, and we're like, you know, slow down there, you know, a little because little, they they get you by the weight, you know, which is brilliant on their part. But, I mean, they're just wanting to pile it up on there, you know. And and every time they would go through there, and I would just have these visions of, you know, they're going to choose fruit, and they're going to put those healthy toppings on. It never happened. You know, it's sprinkles and gummy bears and M&Ms and all that. I mean, that's what they wanted, right? And I, 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 my mind went back to that. I thought, if we imagine our relationship with Christ as being kind of like the, the, the base, the yogurt, right? But then we want to take all this other stuff, and we want to sprinkle this on there and sprinkle that on there and mix this in there with it. That's not how it works, we don't follow Jesus and this over here and that over there and mix all this stuff in and uh, you know it's it's either that that we are passionate and serious about following Christ or we're not. It's really one way or the other. And you know, I think we've gotten good with hearing all the good stuff about following Christ. Yeah, you know, we we, we want to hear about. Um, you know how how christ is the one who died for us and this is certainly true all this is true that he died in our place that he paid for our sins that he's prepared a, a place in heaven for us that you know when we trust in him we can have uh, peace and joy and all those kinds of things and that's all very true but we sometimes miss what jesus said about becoming his follower in matthew sixteen for example verses twenty four and twenty five it describes what a life surrendered to Jesus as Lord looks like. I mean, Jesus himself says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, let's just be honest and admit, we don't like denying ourselves, do we? In fact, we've become quite accustomed to indulging ourselves. And we certainly don't want to lay our lives down, which is what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross and follow me. That part maybe not quite so comfortable. So we need to go back to what Elijah said to the people, and this is basically the message that Jesus had as well. That's what he was saying in Matthew 16, is look, you've got to make up your mind. And yes, there are going to be things that are not comfortable, and there's going to be sacrifice involved, and there's going to be... Uh, some pain involved in following me. Now, certainly the other side is true as well. The forgiveness and peace and joy, all that is absolutely true. I don't want to discount that. But it's not going to be easy. And we need to make up our minds. We need to decide, you know, if Jesus is Lord, to put it in today's terms, then, then follow him. If he's not, then don't. Let's pick it up, verse 25. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal... So they've, they've set up this showdown between uh, himself and the, the false prophets. But He said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them, and they prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Now, sometimes, guys, Let me just encourage you, don't miss the humor that is recorded in the Bible. This is hilarious. I mean, try to put yourself in this position. Elijah sets up this sacrifice, and here they are. Ah, Baal, Baal, answer us. And they're just dancing around, acting like idiots. And my favorite part of it is that Elijah starts just taunting them a little bit more, you know. I mean, this, this just does my soul so much good to know trash-talking is biblical. I got to tell you, I read that, and I'm like, yes, thank you, Jesus. And so he starts trash-talking with him, and he's like, you know, maybe he doesn't hear you. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's traveling. There is an Old Testament scholar, and this when this, this I read this, I'm like, oh, this is, this is brilliant if it's true. Um, an Old Testament scholar by the name of Dr. Ron Allen, who believes that Elijah is suggesting when this word, this Hebrew word for traveling, that he's suggesting that Baal may have stepped into the celestial men's room. And, and so Elijah is saying, hey guys, shout a little louder, maybe Baal can't hear you because he had to go pee. <laughs> and I'm thinking, now that's, there's humor in that, Right? I guess when when your God has to go pee, you have to resort to really drastic kinds of actions. And you have to to slash yourself and jump around more and scream to try to get his attention. And Elijah is just pointing out the fact, this is absurd. That's the point, right? So this is absolutely ridiculous watching that. Uh, And I could just imagine being there and seeing what's happening. Verse 30. So after nothing, right? Just crickets other than people jumping around making fools out of themselves. Then verse 30 says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones... He built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seals of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. Now, I want you to notice. The very first thing it says that he did was he repaired the altar. What a shame that the people had, had departed so much from their worship of their one true God that even the altar had been torn down. And so he had to repair it. And that was that was the first thing he was going to do, was just he was gonna get things right, repair this altar. The way that he did that, and there's incredible symbolism here, it says that he took 12 stones to repair the altar, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And what he's doing here through this picture of repairing the altar with these 12 stones is he's reminding the people who they are. It's like Let, remember your heritage, remember who you belong to. Sometimes we forget who we are too, don't we? Or maybe more importantly, we forget whose we are. We forget that that we are sons and daughters of the king. That's who we belong to. And we gotta gotta remember that. We gotta get our mindset right first before anything else, is remember who you are. And, And so that's what he's doing as they're rebuilding the altar. But then he takes it a step further and there's i mean this just blows my mind this is this is fantastic there is he has so much faith that he builds a trench he tells them to dig a trench all the way around the altar so that they can take all of this water and they dump it on the altar he wants to remove any possible doubt about god the one god answering by fire by the way one little tidbit it's interesting to note about a god answering by fire did you know that, that, that Baal was worshipped as the god of the storms? He was also the god of crops and things like that. But when Baal was pictured, he was often pictured with a lightning bolt in his hand. Now, wouldn't you think that a god with a lightning bolt in his hand wouldn't have a problem starting a fire on an altar that was dedicated to him? Obviously, He's making the point here that, that your god can't start this fire, but my god is so powerful I'm going to douse it with water first. We're just going to soak it really good and that's what he does. Now let's keep reading. Verse 36. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. We'll note that how important that is. This is what he prayed. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you our God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord He is God. The Lord, he is God. See, when Elijah prayed, he had really a couple of things that he was concerned about. The first one was that he wanted God to be glorified. See, it's like, God, you reveal who you are, that I am your servant. See, the point was, this is not about Elijah and I think he had to be very careful about that because you can imagine after a showdown like this, it would have been very easy for him to become even more of a celebrity than he already was. It been real easy for people to lift him up on a pedestal. And his whole point is, no, God, I want you to be glorified. I want you to be the one who receives the credit for all of this. And the second thing that he so desperately wants in verse 37, he wants to see their hearts turn Back to him. And notice the phrase there. Again. He wants to see them turn their hearts back to him again. Elijah's heart was to see the people of God return to a right relationship with God. That's what this was about. And that's what he was praying for. And God answered. And it says that he sent fire from heaven and, you know, consumed the altar. In fact, it says that it burned up the stones, the soil, licked up the water around the trench. I mean, everything is gone. It was such a dramatic answer to prayer that there was no doubt who the one true God really was. And as a result, this is just so encouraging to read that. God answered the prayer about that too because verse 39, the people cried out, The Lord is God. Remember, Elijah said that the whole point was to figure out who is God. Is it God? Is it Baal? Who is it? And the people said very clearly, the Lord. The Lord is God. It is our God who is the one true God. And his, his prayer about the hearts of the people being turned back to him, that prayer was answered. If you're being honest, anybody would acknowledge or admit that your heart needs to be turned back to God again wonder if any of us can relate to that you know, being the people of God. Maybe you, you have a relationship with Christ. You've maybe grown up being taught about who the Lord is. Maybe in a Christian family or maybe you're a part of, a, of a, a children's ministry or a youth ministry where you learned really who God was or maybe even came to faith as an adult where you realized for the first time who Jesus really was and you put your trust in Jesus. But for whatever reason, just kind of started to drift away from that. Anybody need to have your heart turned back to the Lord again? Sometimes, sometimes we need that, that, that moment in time where we can say, God, I, I need to refocus. I need to get, get my, my life back right again. There's so much evidence that God is worthy of being worshiped and followed like that. I mean you see throughout the Old Testament God doing things like this. I mean sending fire from heaven there's so many different miracles but then guys you get into the New Testament and if there were any doubt about who God is and his love for us and his desire for a relationship with us we get to the New Testament and we see what Jesus has done for us and what kind of a love causes God to to come up with a plan that involves sending his own son to become a sacrifice for our sins. What kind of a God desires that so much that He's willing to sacrifice to that level? What, What does that speak about God's love for us and His desire for relationship with us? I mean, in 1 John 1, 3, it just says it so well. It says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Man, isn't that the truth? What a great love that God would draw us into relationship with Him. I mean, we've been talking here today about the people that needed to turn their hearts back to God again, and maybe that's where some of us are, but you know, it could be that for some of us, the real decision is to turn to God for the first time, to trust in Christ for the first time, and I want, I want to invite you to do that, whether, it's, whether you're here with us in person, whether you're watching with us online today, I want to invite you To put your trust in Jesus if you haven't ever done that before. Because that's where we begin. I love what St. Augustine said. He said, you have made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. That is so true, isn't it? Anybody just dealing with a restless heart? Or you know you need to trust in Jesus. You need to to say, yes, I'm going to receive you as Lord of my life. And we talked about this a moment ago. But the things that he offers, it is true. That he gives us forgiveness. And he cleanses us of of our sins. And he prepares a place in heaven for us. And he gives us peace. And he gives us purpose. And he gives us joy. All those things are absolutely true. It's also true. That by trusting in Christ, what we're doing is we're surrendering control of our life to Him. So yes, we are taking up our cross and following Him as well. If you've never made that that choice to say, yes, I'm giving my life to you. I'm trusting you with all my heart. I just want to invite you to do that now. In fact, we're going to pray together. And and we're going to put a prayer up for you, either on the screen here or on your screen at home as you're watching. That is just a sample prayer. of Something that you can pray to trust in Christ today if you've not done that before so I just want to invite you let's all just bow for a moment of prayer but specifically to those that have never made the choice to trust in Jesus would you pray that prayer today and surrender your heart to him let's pray together let's bow for prayer if your desire is to to trust in Christ for the first time then, then pray a prayer like this God today I confess that you are the one true God. I also confess that I'm sinful and that I've run after so many things that aren't from you. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose again. Right now, I turn away from my sin and I turn to you. I receive Jesus as my Lord And I surrender fully to you from this day forward. Amen. If you've trusted in Christ today for the first time, we want to know about it because we want to celebrate with you. That is a huge, important decision. We want to know how we can come alongside you and encourage you in your your growth and in the journey that's in front of you. But I also want to come back to what Elijah said to the people. And that was his prayer was to turn the hearts of the people back to God. See, what I suspect to be true is that that perhaps even most of us have made that choice to trust in Jesus as Savior. But it could be that many of us need to turn our hearts back to Him. We need to make a decision. If God is God, if Jesus is really Lord, then follow Him. Give your heart to Him fully. Don't hold anything back. You can't follow Jesus and something else. Now granted, we're not going to do it perfectly. And I'm thankful for forgiveness and cleansing and all that. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about just having a heart that is in a place of saying, I want to have my heart turned back to you. I want to give you all that I have to give. And so I want to pray again. But this prayer, I want to focus specifically for those of you that say, I just need to turn my heart back. I know Jesus. I have a relationship with him. But I need to... To put my heart back in the right place again. So let's pray together along those lines as well. Lord God, I do pray today for each of us that, that, that has a relationship with you. Lord, I, I pray that our hearts are turned back. And specifically for some, Lord, maybe that have wandered away from you. That things have, have just pulled them away to where there's a distance between themselves and you. I pray, God, that you would turn those hearts back to you even now. Lord, we know that's a work only you can do. There's nothing that that I could say or that anybody could do, but through your Holy Spirit, you can do that. And so that's what we plead with you for, is that you would turn hearts back to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.